First John says that God is love, and that if you do love God, you will obey his commandments. The world says that love is God, and you can do whatever you want. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, and comment, and go to church this week. And it is, drum roll please, it is our 100th episode of Daily Gospel. Yay, wow. 100. Yes. There was much rejoicing. Yes. 100. Take a minute, if you would. And share if you're on the YouTube video, share in the comments how this has helped you. What's been what's been something helpful that would for be you? Wonderful. Um, our our belief in starting this was for our church and obviously for anyone else who wants to to you know listen to this is that if we can be in God's Word, that's when we're going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we want to know Jesus. That's where life is. But also, if we want to be effective as a church, we need to be rooted in Scripture. Yeah. And so, as an as a newer church. Um, we wanted to spend time to just go through the entire scripture and to help you with that as well. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Maybe this is the first time you've listened to this. So either way, hope this is beneficial for you to help you love God's word, understand it, and to see that you can read it, right? Yeah. Like it's not beyond you. This is made so that people can understand it and read it. So yeah, yeah. by God's grace, it has been a great encouragement to the church too. Yeah. And if it hasn't helped you at all, it has helped me a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone should teach through the Bible at some point, I guess. Um, but I've really enjoyed doing this. So we got a few more episodes left. I'll be, we got to finish out the mm-hmm. entire Bible. We're not yep. there yet. Lightning Close. could strike us and we could die. Yeah, or the Lord could um, just return. Nice shirt, by the way. Oh, um, thanks. That's great. Um, <laughs> we're in the New Testament. <laughs> Sorry, I can help myself. Um, this is a section of the New Testament known as the Catholic Epistles, general letters written to large groups of people. So we are in the book of First John, a great book, great book. Next week we'll see the little epistles, kind of at the end of the mm-hmm. New Testament, and then we get into Revelation. Mm. Bum bum bum. That'll be fun. That'll be good. So First John is written by the Apostle John. Okay, so there's. This is very well attested historically. There's really almost no debate about this hmm. that John wrote the Gospel of John or the, the letter of John. Yes, it often e- confused. Even, about. Well, it even yeah, it even um, sounds so much like the Gospel of John, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Gospel of John, it, it, neither one, his letters and the Gospel of John don't mention him by name. Mm-hmm. So we have to get this from other places. But the Gospel of John, we saw he was the the apostle or disciple Jesus loved. And we saw how that corresponded with other Gospels, and it's clearly John. And here we see the same kind of language, right? It's very distinct language. You can't mistake it. John has his own way of writing. So he wrote this. Um, we're not sure when he wrote it, hmm. but it was probably... Later? Well, a lot of people think it was later. Yeah. So we said Gospel of John was maybe 80 to 90 AD. This was maybe 90 to 100 AD, hmm. but we're really not sure. So that's just a shot in the dark in terms of what we see historically. And he seems to have written later than most. Are you going to explain at some point why um, the first letter is so much longer than the second two? Um, yeah, actually, I will. Yeah, so th- so there's no there's no address here at the beginning as to who it's written to. So this is why it's known as one of the Catholic epistles. But it re- it's it's um, so it's probably a general letter. But some people think that second and third John were sort of pre- like prescripts to like intros to the the first John. 
that makes sense. So basically, you you sent you know he has this letter, this kind of form letter, mm-hmm. and then he tacks on this letter at the beginning that says, "I want to specifically address uh, yes. this church," and you know, and he doesn't name those churches, but he names Gaius, right? And so that might be kind of the the form. So Second hmm. John at least seems like it could function in that way, but we're not we're not really sure. That's just again kind of a, a one idea of why hmm. those letters are so short. Interesting. Um, but it was written with a focus on false teachers. Mm. So this is a theme, right? And Peter, it's a theme in John. It's going to be a theme for Jude. Mm-hmm. So there's a, this is a big theme in these books. And so there's problems in leadership or teachers. That's a theme that we see in these epistles of John. And we see that some of the believers have fallen away from the faith. So he's going to attack those false teachers and encourage the believers and um, to edify them so they can persevere. That's kind of the big idea. So interesting. I feel like there obviously is parts of the New Testament that compares the worldly to the ungodly or the ungodly, the worldly to the, you know, the righteous and stuff. But I feel like in today's culture, we don't often like talk a lot about false teachers and false prophets in the reform camp. We clearly do, but Christianity as a whole, we don't. And it's amazing how much the New Testament actually addresses false teachers and how bad they actually are. I mean, you, I remember early on in our church plant, there was someone who we, we, we don't love and respect and everything, but they were upset that you had mentioned some false teachers in your one of your uh, sermons. Yes, yes. You know, and, and it's so interesting. It's like, well, yeah, we should, we should, you know, say what truth is. Maybe we should even attack some false doctrine, but we shouldn't name anybody. Mm. And it's like, well, where does that come from? Yeah. Of course you can do it in the wrong spirit. Of course you can take anyone who disagrees in any way and then you make some big, like, you know, blog post or something attacking them, ignoring mm-hmm. 50 years of great ministry and just taking one statement out of context. Right. Like, that's ridiculous. But if there's someone that, you know, is teaching a prosperity gospel and has built a legacy on this. And millions of people follow those people. Yeah, like a yeah. Benny Hinn, right? Yeah. Who I named my thirdborn son after, of course. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like he's clearly a charlatan. Yeah, Bill He's Johnson. Clearly, yeah, guys, Bill yeah. Johnson or yeah. Joel Osteen. It's like these yeah. guys are, there's sure there's going to be good things that they teach, but overall their message is one of God wants to make you prosperous or happy right now, yeah. right? Your best life now. Um, so, yeah, we should be able to name some of those folks and not do it because we just hate them and want to see them go to hell. We, we want to see them redeemed. We also want to warn people about what yeah. they're teaching. As yeah. nice as it sounds, it's not scriptural. Right, yeah. And so you should avoid that. So yeah, I totally agree. So the theme here, I, I would say, again, false teachers is kind of a theme throughout. So, But I think the, the big idea would be assurance of salvation. So mm-hmm. how do you know that you're saved? So John is a very, he's uncle- unclear in his writing because the flow is confusing because he kind of, he doesn't just have like one topic he deals with. He kind of takes a topic and then he goes to a different topic and he comes back to that topic and he goes to the third topic and he's kind of always, it's it's hard to follow. Mm-hmm. But there is a clear emphasis on knowing that you know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So remember the Gospel of John was written so that you may know yeah. that Jesus is the Christ. And then in 1 John 5.13, he says, <clears throat> I write these things to you who believe the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Yeah. So John has written that you may have eternal life. <laughs> by knowing Jesus, and this is written that you may know that you have eternal life. <laughs> so John has wanted to make sure that they're confident, they're assured of their salvation. So that's, that's, a, that's a clearly a big theme. 
Yeah, what a great theme for Christians to dwell on. You know, I mean, I don't know a single Christian that has at one time struggled with assurance in some way. You yeah. know, so yeah, exactly. John is also in his book very black and white. There's not much gray. He it, speaks in polarities, you know, and he does this in his gospel as well. There's the light and there's the darkness. There's truth and there's lies, right? Um, he tends to be very stark. Mm-hmm. And some of you, if you don't, so if you re, if you revel in gray areas, like oh everything's gray, like what do we even know? You're gonna hate this book, and that's good for you. <laughs> it's good for you. It'll, it'll grow you because as much as there are gray areas, there are uncertain areas, there are areas of debate. There are also a lot of black and white areas in life, and I think we lack the ability sometimes in our modern world to just call a spade a spade, just say like that this is sin. This is this is light. This is darkness, right? There's good and there's bad. You and are a man. You are a man. You're not a woman. Mm. You know things like that that we think is unloving to say to somebody, but it's actually good. It's important to speak the truth and to speak it sometimes in very black and white terms when it's black and white. Yeah. So um, we also need to under, if you understand his view of, of sin. So he's going to talk a lot about assurance of salvation. He's going to say if you keep on sinning, right, then you're not a believer in Jesus. Um, I think the way that those verbs are used in Greek, it's it's not negating the rest of Scripture, which says that you're forgiven, even if you sometimes fail and struggle in sin. I think what he's saying is if you continue in a perpetual pattern of sin, if there's not repentance, if there's not growth or sanctification, then you're showing that you're not truly saved. So one of the assurances we have of our salvation is that we are growing mm-hmm. in the faith. If you're not growing, you sh- maybe shouldn't be assured yeah. of your salvation. So anyway... Um, for the outline, I, I adapted this from a guy named uh, Schneckenberg. Great. What a great, great name. name. Schneckenberg. Schneckenberg. Um, makes me hungry just saying the name. Mm. Um, he, for the first section is walking in the light. So that's chapter one through chapter two, verse 17. That's walking in the light. Then he goes into kind of the state of the churches, chapter two, verse 18 to 324. So he deals with the, the churches and then distinction from the world is chapters four and five how do we be distinct from the world and of course he has a close so let's jump in let's look at first how how do we walk in the light walking in the light so this starts in chapter one that which you have heard this is chapter one verse one or that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life Hmm. now just that first First, you know, not even full sentence reminds you of the Gospel of John, yeah. right? Yeah. From the beginning, Gospel of John says, "In the beginning," talks about the Word of Life. Yeah. John one one says, "The beginning was the Word." I'm just getting like, don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah, <laughs> and he's and he's speaking about his own experience with Jesus, right? He's heard, seen, looked upon, touched. Mm-hmm. He's had a real experience with Jesus, and so um, we see some key words for the book in verse two. It says the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So these key words of life and testify or witness, those are those are key words from the Gospel of John as well. Mm-hmm. And here again he's saying we are now testifying to this. We've seen and experienced this, and so we want you to know it. And he says, verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship, another key word here, he's saying, we want you to have fellowship with us, right? To be one in unity with us and 
And we also want you to be in fellowship with God, to know his truth and to be in relationship with him, to be mm-hmm. with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So a pretty clear reason why he's writing at the beginning, right? And then he says also, in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John's going to get joy as these people are following God and living for him. No. Verse verse 5, he says, um, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light mm-hmm. and in him is no darkness at all. So John's going to say later that God is love. Here he says God is light. And those two ideas help to balance each other, right? I mean, you made obviously a good point in the intro that it's not that love is God, but God is love, right? So we don't just say, oh, whatever love is, right? Meaning in our world, like every kind of sexuality, every kind of sexual sin is love. And so do whatever you want. But no, they're actually, God is also light, right? right. So that, that's, first of all, to be clear, that's not true. God is love. So God defines what love is. Right. Just to be clear on that point, we'll get there later. But, but also God is light. So he exposes, right? The darkness. He yeah. brings truth. And he doesn't want us to live in darkness. So verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we're talking about assurance of salvation. He's saying we should not be sure of our salvation if we're in ongoing walking in darkness. Mm-hmm. So if we're engaging in sin habitually, we don't want to repent of it. We're not being truthful about it. We're not coming to the light. We're not confessing our sins. This is this is a sign that we may not be saved. Mm. So we should take that seriously. Yeah. Right. Paul does I mean, John doesn't want to just assure everyone of salvation because some people aren't saved. Right. So it's to assure the faithful and the true believers of salvation and then I think to convict everyone else, to provoke them to come to Jesus. Yeah. And for like for those struggling with sin and find themselves in as either as a backsliding Christian who believes the gospel of Christ, like you just bring that stuff to the light. Allow the church to help you through that. Talk to your pastors, talk to your your brothers and members of your fellow church. But yeah, live that life of repentance. It doesn't mean yeah. you're perfect. It means you're bringing stuff to the light. We we would never want to discourage a true believer of not having salvation. That's not the goal here, or a young believer to not have salvation. Yeah. But we do want to encourage the believer um, to be um, thoughtful about where they actually stand with God and yeah. their sanctification. John's never going to say like, no, no, you're good. Don't, don't worry about it. Right. You're good. You signed the card. You said the prayer. Like you're saved forever. Yeah. No, he's saying there are actual things in your life that can point to whether you should have assurance of salvation. Yeah, there's helpful measurements. Yeah. And if not, then yeah, you should you should repent. You should meet Jesus maybe for the first time. Yeah. So, I mean, verse 9 is, is great. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have that promise, right? If we're truly confessing, God forgives us. Mm-hmm. He's faithful to his promise and he cleanses us. Hmm. So John is saying this as a this is a free gift. But he goes on to talk about sanctification and how we can have confidence that we know God. Hmm. So chapter 2 verse 1 he says I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's clearly not saying that you know, if you're sinning that you have no hope. Or there's like a one time you come to Jesus, he's saying if you do sin, you have hope because you have Jesus mm-hmm. as your advocate. So go to him. Forgiveness is available. Confess. Yeah, which is great because it's like there's a difference between habitual same sins over years and stuff like that that you don't want to leave. But everyone sins. And yeah. so it's only not like if you sin, it's when you sin or when you have sin, there's an advocate for you. Yeah. You know, 
So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is at the heart of assurance, chapter two, verse three, right? By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So again, are you growing in that? Are you moving toward God? Are you following after him? It's a very basic measure. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people listening to this, they're gonna have God bring something to mind. And maybe you immediately think, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with that. So if you if you're having that reaction, that's exactly where you, what you need to be thinking about. Mm. So so don't let this just go past you, right? Don't just turn this off or walk away or forget about it. Spend time with God right now. Call up a friend, right? Call someone you trust and talk about that thing, and say, I don't want to. I don't want to have this conviction. I want to actually have freedom from yeah. this sin. And people will would love to help you if they're followers of Jesus. Chapter two, verse six. Again, he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Hmm. So we're, we're, we're um, you know, this, we're called to walk in the same way. We're called to, to follow him. Um, and it's, and why is it reasonable to expect obedience from those who love God, right? Because abiding in him means that you're, you love him, you're connected to him, and therefore you're going to want to imitate him. Yeah, right, and even the ability, all the everything's wrapped up in Jesus. Yeah. Like the ability to, to the desire to, all because of what he has done to make us new creatures. Like yep. yeah. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's not even it's not possible to repent without Jesus, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. So so at the beginning, a a big um, area of assurance or area we can have assurance is do I obey God? Yeah. That's a great one. That's what I'm trying to teach my kids right now. It's like yeah. don't do that thing like just because, but like or, you know, it's not just loving just to obey dad or mama, you know, it's, it's loving, you know, um, to be obedient at the same time. And yeah. so that teaches us who God is. Oh, we love him when we're obedient, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. So we see also not just obedience, but love and hatred define hmm. your, your assurance or, or reveal assurance. So chapter two, verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So the way that we respond to people, that shows whether we're in the light or in the darkness, right? right? Do we hate? And I think our brother here is specifically speaking to brothers in the faith, right? So fellow Christians, but of course, every person, our treatment of other people reveals to us the same reality, right? But do we love or do we hate? Mm-hmm. Do we want the best for others or do we want the worst for others? Do we... Yeah. How do we treat people who are made in God's image and who are part of the family of God? Yeah, very important to think about. Very and and maybe very convicting for a lot of us. We also can have assurance through whether we love God or the world, hmm. right? So, verse chapter two, verse fifteen, he says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." Mm-hmm. So, do not love the world. It's very explicit here. Your heart cannot be occupied by love of world and love of God. Hmm. It's going to be one or the other. Right. So examine yourself. Do you love this world? And I think by world, he doesn't just mean the physical creation. Are you attached to this life? But I think he means the system of thought in this world, the way that the world tells us we have to think, the culture, the things that we're caught up in in our day and age. The world's going to look differently in different times, different places, but that pressure to conform and to think in the same way as everyone else, that is a, a picture of, of worldliness. Mm-hmm. The idea of this kind of amorphous, hard to really pin down, but idea of the world mm-hmm. in John's writings. 
Interesting. So do we love the world or do we follow after God? No. Then he goes into the state of the churches in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 3. So he speaks of Antichrist, right? Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have come. So he's speaking to those who are against Christ, right? That's the idea here. Those who oppose God. Makes sense. And, and he's speaking to these false prophets. <clears throat> I don't think we necessarily need to take this as Antichrist in Revelation, mm-hmm, the yeah. beast of Revelation. That word, word is applied not not too appropriately. I understand the idea. So I'm not trying to get into all that right now, but that's not, I think, what he's talking about here. But he talks about those who have fallen away in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us. <clears throat> Excuse me. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Hmm. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So this is an interesting passage on uh, what do you do with somebody who falls away from the faith? Mm-hmm. That's a natural question as he's speaking about assurance. You could say, well, Paul or John, I've known people that have loved God, obeyed Him, and then they've turned away from Him. And what Paul is saying, or keep saying Paul, <laughs> we've been in Paul for so long. What John, Johnny Boy, is saying here is their apostasy, their walking away from God, simply reveals what's inside their hearts. Yeah. So that just makes evident what's inside them, that they never were of us. They were never true believers. A lot of people can walk the walk for a time, can fit in, can, for, for their own selfish reasons, blend in with the community, say the right things, all of that. But at the end of the day, when it push comes to shove, whatever kind of you know, colloquialism you want to use, um, God's going to reveal those who are, those are, who are his. Hmm. And that's by persistence, right? perseverance, in the faith. Mm-hmm. And so if you fall away, it shows that you never really believed in God. Right. So it's a, it's a very important um, verse there. Um, he goes into a little bit to, well, I, I'm going to get to, I want to get to uh, the chapter three. Let's get chapter three. We've got a lot to cover here. Um, chapter three, verse one, he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I love this verse. It's an amazing verse, right? That God has given us this love to be called children of God, and that's what we are. Mm-hmm. It's a great memory verse to remind yourself of your identity in Christ. And then he speaks in verse 2 to the beatific vision, to seeing God and being transformed by God. And what what does being born of God look like? He deals with that in chapter 3. He says, chapter 3, verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then he says, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Look at that, look at that language. A yeah. practice of sin. That's very helpful for us, right? Yeah. Not an individual sin, but a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Hmm. So this again speaks to our assurance. Being born of God means that your love transforms, right? right? That you you care about the right things. You don't want to keep sinning because that's of the devil, but you want to love God. And it's, I love that God's seed abides in him. So there's something stirring inside of him, growing inside of him that pushes him towards the right kind of living. Yeah. So, and then he says by this, verse 10, but this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Mm-hmm. So he comes back to these themes from earlier in the book, mm-hmm. right? To keep hammering them in. Um, chapter four uh, is the love chapter. This is even more the love chapter than 1 Corinthians 13, I think. (laughs) 
It's a really great chapter, and this is where we get that phrase that God is love. Mm-hmm. Chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. And he says, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. So love is a crucial aspect of who God is, right? right. It's central to everything that he does. His love for his people and even his love and long-suffering for non-Christians. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of love, but it is a love nonetheless that God would bless us with life and all these good gifts, even though we don't deserve it. Yeah. But if you don't love, then you clearly don't know God. Right. And love is not defined the way the world defines it. It's defined by God and by his commandments. You know, the world is so great at redefining things these days. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so he gives us a definition of this, right? Verse, verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Yeah, amen. And so that's that's the picture of love, and that's how we should judge our lives. Yeah. Um, so a lot more in chapter 4, but let's go to chapter 5 real quick. There's a few things I just love in chapter 5. We see here that love is about obedience. So he's connecting these ideas of love and following God's commands Chapter 5, verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Mm-hmm. So you can't just say, Oh, I love people, and you are all about commandments. Right. You're all like, God, do God's will. I'm just like a love person. Right. Love is defined by obeying God's commandments. Right. And I would add encouraging others to do the same, right? Right. So he says, For this is the love of God. Chapter 5, verse 3, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Right. So this is how you know you love God. You you follow, don't do what he says, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I know my kids love me. They do what I say. <laughs> I teach them that, right? You got to do what I say. It's very important. And he's saying here, they're not burdensome. Right. So God gives commands. We don't begrudgingly obey them. Well, you have to. No, they are freeing. They are joy-filled. They are a good thing. They're a gift from our Father to guide mm-hmm. us in this life. Yeah. And so all of these help remind us of how we can be assured of our salvation, right? That we are loving others, we're loving God, we're rejecting the world, we're setting our sights on Jesus, we're taking confidence in the shed blood of Christ, and we're loving him by obeying his commandments. Yeah. So that's how we have assurance. It's not how we get saved. We don't get saved by obeying his commandments. Right, yeah, exactly. But we have assurance. We can see that God is working in us, his spirit is living in us as we grow to love what God loves, and do what God calls us to do. Yeah, amen. An assuring message. I hope so. Or convicting. I hope it's convicting for those who should not be assured, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for our next episode.